today's sermon is going to be about um, three things. So it's a pastoral sermon. This is not a sermon I could preach in another church, just you guys. I want to give you guys a reminder, a warning, and an encouragement. The reminder is this. I want to remind you guys of the Gospel and the Apostles' Creed. Uh, the warning is uh, don't let sinners influence you to sin. And uh, I want to talk about stewardship really quick. And then the encouragement is your story's not over till it's over. And even then, it's not over. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus. And I pray, Lord God, that you will have your way. That you will have your way in this sermon. Lord, I pray that your people will be edified. I pray that your people will be encouraged. That your people will be warned. And I pray your people will be reminded. Hide me behind the cross. Allow me to speak with power, simplicity, humility, and clarity. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. So at this time, you know, I, I just felt inspired by the Holy Spirit to just humbly and warn you guys and remind you guys of some things you already know. So let's get to the reminder. The reminder I want to give you this morning is the Apostle, pretty much... Um, the Apostles' Creed, right? The Apostles' Creed says, We believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Let's talk about the gospel for a moment. Tim Keller says this. He says the gospel is this. We are more sinned and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Turn your Bibles or your Bible app to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. And we're going to be reading from the ESV version. The English Standard Version. First Peter one twelve. I'll share my notes with with some people, and then maybe they can share on the, the chat. All right. The Word of God says, "It was revealed to them that they were not; they were serving not themselves, but you." In the things you have now been announced, but in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Right? Even the angels are fascinated by the gospel. The gospel has been described as a pool which toddlers can play and splash, yet an elephant can swim in. Is both simple enough to tell a child and profound enough that even the greatest minds spend their whole academic career exploring it. 
and even the angels never get tired looking at it. Few generations ago, evangelicals agreed in the simple gospel, right? Number one, that God made you and wants you to have wants to have a relationship with you. Number two, but your sin separates you from God. The third part, Jesus took the punishment your sins deserved. And the fourth part, so if you repent from your sins and trust in him for your salvation, you will be forgiven, justified, and accepted freely by grace and indwelt with his Holy Spirit until you die and go to heaven. I'm going to read that again. Right? So the, the simple gospel is this. God made you and I and wants, wants us wants to have a relationship with us. But our sin separates us from God. But Jesus took the punishment, the cross, that our sins deserve. So now if we repent from our sins and trust in him for our salvation, we will be forgiven, justified, and accepted freely by grace, not works, by grace, and have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit until the day we die and go to heaven. Now what does that gospel um, look like in expression? Well, the kingdom of God looks like People who are taking care of each other, right? When, when, when an ecclesia, when a church comes together, called out ones come together and lay down their lives for each other, support each other, pray for each other, encourage each other, extend their networks to each other. It looks like people who are living as an extended family, an interdependent uh, tribe of followers of Christ. It looks close-knit, and a functioning body where each members support and encourage each other. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26 says, If one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So the kingdom of God and within the tribe of Ecclesia and church, it looks like supporting each other, encourage each other, praying for each other, lifting each other up. Feeding each other, clothing those who don't have much, blessing the poor, giving vision to the blind, caring for the sick, delivering those who are bound by, by Satan through addictions or cycles of poverty and self-sabotage, forgiving each other, preaching the forgiveness of sins through Christ's death and forgiveness and resurrection, proclaiming the gospel to the poor and showcasing it by our lives. In other words, the Ecclesia does all the things that Jesus did while he was on earth. And the church, which is the bride of Christ, does it in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus is the kingdom of God yesterday, today, and forevermore. And the church is uh, Christ's corporate and collective expression. We do it by relying on Christ. Jesus says in John 6, 57, As the living Father has sent me, I live by the Father. So he that uh, is in me, now he, he that is in me, shall I live in them. Right? So the way the Father was in Jesus, Jesus is in us. Right? The Holy Spirit teaches us to operate by the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.20, Paul wrote this. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live 
in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's central message in a lot of his writing was, not I but Christ, or Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus Christ lived his life by the indwelling of the Father in the same way believers can live their uh, victorious Christian life by the indwelling power of Jesus. It's the central part of the kingdom of God. So it's rather than just us imitating Jesus in the way he lived, it's, it's operating under the inspirational energy uh, that was in Jesus. The Bible says that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. So in short, the goal of the gospel is not just to get you out of hell into heaven, but to get the Holy Spirit out of heaven into us so we may uh, display the visible and glorified uh, agenda of the kingdom of God. All right, so that's the, that's the reminder, right? The reminder, the Apostles' Creed, the gospel, um, the expression with a body of Christ. We're doing Jesus Christ is the human face of God, and we are called to do what He's doing, what He done, right? And we're called to be like uh, the Good Samaritans. We're called to be like the better Big Brother, right? In the Prodigal Son, the Big Brother was jealous, but we're called to be the better Big Brother and look for our Prodigal Little Brother. All right. So I I, I reminded you. Let me warn you. You know, a good friend of mine, Marianne Soler, she put this post recently. She said, Jesus sat with sinners, but he didn't sin with them. Know the difference. Ay, Chihuahua. Jesus sat with sinners. He didn't sin with them. Know the difference. You know, we have to understand that God has called us to, you, to leverage our relationships for his kingdom. To invest and invite to pray for people, to be an expression of the body of Christ. But we have to make sure that we don't get pulled down. We have to make sure that our testimony is not infected. You know, even when the woman who, who was accused of the act of adultery was dragged and thrown naked alone in front of Jesus and the crowd was waiting to throw rocks at her, Jesus came with mercy. But he told her in the end, Go and sin no more. And he told the, 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 the judgmental men, let the one who never sinned throw the first stone. See, Jesus' mission is grace and forgiveness. When Zacchaeus heard about Jesus and he climbed a tree and he wanted to be with Jesus and he invited Jesus over and they had a great dinner and all the tax collectors was there and Jesus ate with them. Jesus was invited. Um, he didn't just eat with them, they ate with him. It's deep. And Zacchaeus stood up and said, Look, Lord, I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor. If I cheated anyone, I will pay them back four times the amount. See, Jesus' mission was salvation. When he said, Zacchaeus, I want to break bread with you, he didn't want to say, I, 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 want, to, um, I want you to validate me. I want to hang out with you. I want to taste that, that good liquor, that fancy stuff you got. I, I, I want to roll with the high rollers. No, he went there, exuded the power and love and grace and sanctification of God. And his presence invoked something in Zacchaeus to make him say, I would no longer rip people off. Jesus was a friend of the sinner, not because he winked at sin and ignored sin, he was a friend of the sinner because he came to save sinners. 
that was very pleased to welcome sinners who were open to the gospel, who were sorry for their sins, and on their way of putting their faith in him. That's why I'm saying we're here to help people discover the difference Jesus makes. We're called to attract the seekers. There's people going through some existential crises. They're backsliders who remember the good things of God, but they went to a toxic church and they were under toxic spiritual abuse. God has called us to attract the seekers. He's called us to get the little brothers who have, who have wasted their inheritance to be the better big brother in the story of the prodigal son. So I wanted to warn you that in the midst of all your network and all your friends, let the glory of God seep out of your pores. Let your sanctification not be impacted or infected. May you keep your convictions. As you have a, as you have a good time with your friends, may you keep your convictions. May you keep that state of consecration. May you stay uh, uh, on the path of spiritual elevations and ascendancy of the anointing. So that's the first warning. The second warning is we need to keep the passion in practicing biblical stewardship. Stewardship is both offense and defense. If you look at it as a sport, stewardship is both offense and defense. Rick Warren said, living in light of eternity changes your priorities. We need to change our stewardship. The way we handle our time, the way we handle our uh talents and gifts and strengths and the way we handle our finances and our health. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 20 says the wise have wealth and luxury but the fools spend whatever they get. Ooh. The wise have wealth and luxury but the fools spend whatever they get. You know I hear economists who study uh, collective psychology say you can give everybody a million dollars and unfortunately a large amount of people who were broke before the million dollars will go broke again in five years and a large amount of the people who were doing well financially prior to the million, de million dollars would do well, better even it's called the Matthew principle based on Matthew chapter 25 the parable of the talents and so we need to get the stewardship right, fam. Financial pressure is a large cause of divorce. Financial pressure impacts your health. You cannot live in a constant state of cortisol release in fight or flight. Financial pressure impacts the quality of your life. You have no margin for the miracle. You have no margin for joy. Now, I'm going to stay in my pastoral lane. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not going to be like these other pastors who, who say they, they, they got it together. Just allow me to encourage you to work onto the Lord, to work smart and hard. You know, there's a, there's a popular teaching that the Bishop T.D. Jakes taught. You know, once in a while, um, God just gives divine downloads to certain women and men of God that just helps the whole body of Christ. And a few years ago, he gave the Ten Commandments of working in a hostile environment. Let me share them with you. Number one, so you're dealing with work, right? So what you passed around, what are you talking about? I'm talking about your finances are often impacted by your career. 
right? So this is 10 commandments of working in a hostile work, work environment. Number one, know that you are anointed for the job or the position you now hold. God uses ordinary circumstances as training ground to perfect, to perfect our character. The second commandment, don't expect to be appreciated. You're not there for that. You come to church for that. <laughs> God values humility and servanthood, not pride and entitlement. Your boss is not your pastor. Your boss is not your uncle. All right, three, we have to embrace opportunities for change. Number four, do the job well while remembering the vision. Number five, don't let the environment get inside of you. Ooh. Don't let the environment get inside of you. Emit more than you absorb. Number six, increase your capacity to work with difficult personalities. Number seven, where you are is not where you are going. Be peaceful while progressing. Be content while continue to have that spirit of conquest. Number eight, achieve optimal results with minimal confusion. Number nine, do not pledge allegiance to cliques or groups. Oh, I'm going to read that again. If you want to avoid drama at work, do not pledge allegiance to cliques and groups. The enemy tempts us with the security of the group and the approval of others. And number 10, we're talking about stewardship, right? I'm warning you guys, keep stewardship alive. I'm warning you guys to take care of your career trajectory. Number 10, keep your song near you. Spend time in God's presence. Study his word, offer a prayer. Let worship be your soundtrack, right? All right. So, we, we talked about career, right? We talked about stewardship. We talked about we have to work unto the Lord. We got to work with wisdom. We got to work utilizing our natural strengths, our talents, and our spiritual gifts. We have to work, right? Stephen A. Smith says that he thinks about how he could make ESPN a lot of money. And then he thinks about how he can extract some of that money himself, right? By increasing his value. And so regarding finances, I'm not going to give you guys a budget sheet. I used to do that last year. Listen, give a small portion back to God. Put a small portion, keep uh, a small portion for savings. And you could progress savings from, uh, what's that thing called? Emergency to investments to retirement. And then try to live on 80% and be wise with your spending. Only a fool spends everything they get. All right, so I gave you a reminder I gave you a warning, now let me encourage you. The encouragement this morning is the story's not over to it's over, and even then it's not over. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 29. We're going to read verse 17, and then we're going to read verse 30 to 35. Genesis chapter 29. We're going to read about Leah. Say amen in the chat if you're listening this morning. Genesis 29, verse 17, and then we're going to read verse 30 to 35. In the New Living Translation, it says, verse 17, There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. So, some, some theologians say Rachel, Leah was cross-eyed 
Some people say Leah was a little older and more worn because they never mentioned her mother and she might have been taking care of all the duties of the big household. So let's go to verse 30, right? So Jacob um, Jacob was supposed to marry Rachel, the younger one, and work seven years for her. And the father tricks her, tricks Rachel. And the father, like the theologians say, the father really tricked Rachel. So these daughters had a hand, like 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 uh, maidens, right? Like assistants, like personal assistants. It was a different time. And so he took Rachel's assistant and gave her to Leah. So when Jacob entered the tent to consummate the marriage after being drunk, he saw Rachel's assistant by the threshold. So he went in. And uh, he made love to his wife, not realizing it was Leah. And then he woke up and said, ah, Leah, it's Leah. Like he, like he was disgusted. And then uh, Laban, uh, Rachel, and Le Laban uh, Rachel and Leah's dad said, like, oh, the you have to marry the older one first. So then Jacob agreed to work another seven years for Rachel. And so he gave her Rachel too. So in verse 30, it says, so Jacob slept with Rachel too. And he loved her much more than Leah. He then stayed at work for Laban for the additional seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children. But Rachel could not conceive. Verse 32. So Leah became pregnant, gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, the Lord has noticed my misery and now my husband will love me. She soon became pregnant again and gave birth to another son, and she named him Simeon. For she said, the Lord heard that I was unloved and gave me another son. And then she became pregnant a third time and gave birth to another son. She named him Levi, and this is for the, the, the tribe of the Levites. She said, surely this time my husband will feel affection for me since I have given him three sons. Once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. She named him Judah. For she said, now I will praise the Lord. And then she stopped having children. So, Leah has a hard life. Her and her husband are not getting along. But she's having these babies. And she's giving these, these sons prophetic names. And then she gives birth to Judah. Now, these, these, these people always knew that the Messiah was coming. So she gives birth to someone that's in the early bloodline of the Messiah, of Jesus. Because Jesus came from the line of Judah. Judah came from Leah. The one Jacob never wanted, the Savior of the world, was born out of the rejection of a woman who was unloved by Jacob. Summit Church, I tell you, you may feel rejected today. You may feel like a failure today. You may feel a little ugly today. You may feel like the circumstances of your life is ugly, that this is not what you planned. But God has a plan to bring forth more of Christ in your life. Out of your rejection, out of your frustration, out of your defects, out of your failures, out of your flaws, God will shine through your life.
her story wasn't over. The man woke up and, 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 and everybody treated her like she was ugly. Everybody looked at her eyes and there was no sparkle and they were cross-eyed and, and all these things. But all she did was take care of her family. All she did was give birth to powerful sons that represented the tribe. All she did was give birth to Judah who later on through his bloodline, God himself came down through to redeem the cosmos. And brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you that you may be going through a rejection in your life. But some of you are going to give birth to dreams. Some of you guys are going to give birth to ideas. Some of you guys are going to give birth to favor. Some of you guys are going to give birth to a special anointing. That your next chapter will be your best chapter. Be encouraged this morning that God is not done with you yet. Be encouraged that man looks at the appearance, but God looks at the heart. Brothers and sisters, you don't have to be hot to be beautiful. Let God do a beautiful thing in your life. Let God use you, transform you, renew you. I pray for a spirit of transformation in your life. Be encouraged, Summit Church. And thank you so much. Thank you so much for chiming, for, for, for watching this morning. And in conclusion, I want to thank you for listening with an opening heart, with an open heart. I pray this morning you heard the voice behind the voice. Today, I try to remind you of the gospel, the Apostles' Creed. Today, I try to warn you to stay holy and sanctified, but not isolated. To, to continue to practice biblical stewardship. And today I believe I encourage you to stay strong regardless of rejection and setbacks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus. And I pray that we will be people that will study the gospel, the beauty of the gospel for the rest of our life. That we will be kingdom kids. That we will be princes and princesses, kings and queens, sons and daughters, disciples, servants and friends of Jesus Christ for the rest of our lives. I pray that we will take heed that as we uh, minister to people in this world, minister to hurting people, that we will protect our hearts, that we will keep that spirit of sanctification, that spirit of adoption. I pray, Lord God, that we will stay committed to biblical stewardship, committed, Lord God, to not spending our finances willy-nilly, committed to working with wisdom, committed to working with the spirit of Exodus. Make us like the prophet Daniel this morning, Lord God. And Father, I pray that we will be encouraged, that we will let seasons of rejection stop us from walking in your will, in your ways, and in your might. Help us, Lord, give birth to new dreams in this season of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, and we say amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. Let's give the Lord a hand wherever you're at. Beep, beep, beep.